Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm Sean Kernan, professional film critic. Joining me tonight, my co-host, Jeff Lasseter. Jeff, how are you? What's going on? I'm okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, Bob's not with us tonight, so I'll be uh, leading the way. Uh, and uh, to start with, first, before we jump into anything, a uh, couple of news notes. Uh, the first uh, poster for, for Ari Aster's new movie, uh, Bo is Afraid, dropped today. and uh, It's... It's, but it's, it's not a, called Joaquin Phoenix or Joaquin Phoenix. That's, that's I swear a, to God, I thought. Ian Britt on our Facebook page actually said the exact same thing. Why is the actor's name so much bigger than the title? I don't know why anybody cares about that. So, I, think, I think it's an incredible poster because it's inc- for some reason, it's just incredibly unnerving. And I don't know why. Is that a DH? Uh, so I, 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 I don't know. It looks like if, if, he had a baby with um, the guy who plays young Sheldon in the future. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Ian, Ian, I should know him. We have a bunch of mutual friends, actually. Um, I I went on, I was on Instagram and they shared the poster on the A24 account. And I, and they were like, you know, it's called Bo is here. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, it's not called Joaquin Phoenix. And I swear to God. Five or six people responded to me. No, it's called Bo is here, and it's or Bo is afraid. And then I'm like, oh come on. What was it called before? It was called Dis- oh. Disappointments Boulevard. Disappointment Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a good title, but uh, Bo is afraid is also an intriguing title. Uh, so I'm, it's I'm a comedy, right? I have no idea. I have no idea what it is. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming it's an Ari Aster movie, so it's going to be, it's going to be disturbing because uh, that's just what he does. I, I like I said, it, it, you know, Midsummer and Hereditary, two of my favorite movies of all time. I, I trust him with anything that he does. And even this poster, just I don't know if it's just his reputation or just something about it. I find it uncanny. Yeah. Chris uh, Bob, yeah, I don't know. Failed to weigh, weigh in on this. So. <laughs> Bob is very busy. Yes, he is. He is a very busy man. Uh, did you see the Spider-Verse trailer? Uh, I saw some. I saw the older one. I have not seen the new one yet. There's a brand new trailer for but, the next uh, for the next uh, Spider Verse sequel. It's a little bit older. Miles Morales. Uh, there's a lot of lot of Spider Man, but this time, uh, the Spider Verse. Apparently, there's just a lot of different Spider Man who may be the bad guy this time around. Ooh. Intriguing, eh? I didn't see, but I didn't see the yeah. breakout character. Though uh, Spider Pig was not. <laughs> <laughs> was not seen in the trailer. He's a big bad. <laughs> you know what? They can make it work. These guys are that good. <laughs> oh, I come on. I mean, there are very, very few misses in the Marvel universe, even even the Sony Marvel universe. Yeah. Really. Uh, I know. mean, uh, Venom would have Venom and uh, and uh, Jared Leto would like to have a word with you on that. But yeah. <laughs> I said very few, and there are dozens of these movies now. So under five is a pretty good track record. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the trailer. I, I, at first, I was confused. I thought it was a video game. I thought Sony was dropping a Spider Verse video game, so I was like, "I'm not even going to watch that. I don't care about video games." And then somebody said, "No, no, it's an actual movie that's coming out next June." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Now I'll take a look at it." <laughs> well, now I, I have to see it because I know I saw something in the theater a couple months ago that was 
I thought maybe it was in front of Morbius that was an extended first look or something. Mm-hmm. So I know I've seen something, but well, speaking of extended that was before I had to pay attention to this kind of shit to be on the show. So. <laughs> speaking of extended first looks, actually, uh, when we go see Avatar this weekend, which you're going to go see Avatar the way of <gasps> Uh, if you go out to the IMAX showing, you'll get to see an extended look at Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. So I'm imagining what Bob's excuse to be to miss this is going to be. <laughs> um, I am not a Christopher Nolan stan. I he's fine. Yeah. I don't. I don't. My nipples don't get hard every time I hear the words Christopher Nolan, though. Like a lot of people, unlike um, Josh, right? <laughs> Our old friend. Yeah. I I don't know. He's just he's fine. He's he are he he does movies for straight guys in their thirties and forties. I don't fit any of that anymore. Anymore. <laughs> well, I'm fifty, so I'm- <clears throat> fifty. Fifty years old. I, I got to say, though, the, the marketing on, on Oppenheimer has been fascinating the way he's been doing. He's dropped a, a couple like this before with these big first looks on IMAX and telling people you're only going to be able to see this in IMAX. And uh, I, I've been impressed with the 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 way they the way he's got them treating this like it's a, a really, really big deal, considering this is not a, a Marvel franchise. This is certainly not a superhero. This is a historic drama. You don't often see historic dramas marketed quite like this. So I, the reason I'm looking forward to it, there are two words, Florence Pugh. Oh. What about I like her. Robert? Her- what about bald Robert Downey Jr.? <laughs> okay, uh, that's fine. Um, Florence Pugh, I will see anything she's in. I actually started to watch The Wonder this weekend. Finally, yeah, I have not seen that one. But- I put it on at like 1130 and I'd been up since five. So I didn't make it all the way through. It's a very slow movie. <laughs> I, I've been, that's on a list of something I need to see, but it's, uh, I, it's probably not going to get there. I, I've got a list that is so long uh, of get, of still things to get to, even though I've already submitted my ballot for the critics choice awards, which uh, the critics choice awards will announce our nominations tomorrow uh, for the uh, awards that are coming up in February. <clears throat> and I, uh, my ballot was was weird. It always is. Um, I put everything everywhere all at once right at the top, of course. But then I had Pearl on there, which I know no other critic is going to have. I, I respect my critics choice brethren. I do. None of them are putting Pearl on their list. I also had the menu oh, on my list. I movie. had decision to leave on my list. Uh, so I, I don't think any of those are other than everything everywhere. I think that one will get a nomination for best picture. But uh, beyond that, I'll be my user, usual outlier self. <laughs> well, so far you've named a bunch of movies that are on my top 10 list. So for the year, well, that's good. At least this show will have, a, <laughs> we tend to have a pretty but, look at the, at the top 10 every year. It's kind of fun that way. Well, that was before you asked me to be on the show. Oh, you're going to put something, something. I, there, aren't you? Oh, I have a feeling I've got a few that are going to be, what the fuck are you talking about? Get off our show kind of movies. <laughs> I look forward to that. That's coming up at the the end of the year. Uh, my number one is totally predictable. Everything else, I mean, perhaps Pearl might be a little bit predictable, but everything else uh, is in this jumble of like eight different movies that I think are amazing that could end up anywhere 
in my top 10. I've narrowed it down to about 25 movies. I just added one last night with a movie called One Fine Morning with Leah Sedu, which is a French film that is wonderful, but uh, you, I will get to that later on some other time on the show because I want to give you guys a chance to see it if you do, in fact, get a chance to see it. Uh, but let's get into the work. Let's get into this week's movies. Uh, let's start. With, we're going to start with Spoiler Alert, which is a new movie from director Michael Showalter starring uh, Jim Parsons. Uh, and this is a story uh, based off of a novel by, uh, well, not a novel, but I like a, a, not a novel. It is a, a novel. But it's based on, a, yeah, a memoir. Uh, yeah. Michael Osiello, a TV critic, talking about his uh, his lover who passed away from cancer. And uh, it's called Spoiler Alert. The book is called Spoiler Alert, The Hero Dies. And th- the thing about that is, is what I, what I find fascinating is that so many movies like this, uh, when you know what the outcome is going to be, they tend to have a lot of wheel spinning to keep that, you know, keep that off in the distance. This is a movie that doesn't spin its wheels. This is a movie that comes up with unique and interesting scenes and and these wonderful characters that keep you involved. And that really is when it comes to a movie that is deeply predictable, where you know what's going to happen, uh, whether it's a, a real life story or whether it's just something where it's the ending is very predictable based off of tropes. You need great characters to make that work. And I was really surprised how great these characters are. Uh, Ben Aldridge and Jim Parsons are a wonderful couple. Then you have Sally Field and Bill Irwin uh, playing playing the parents who are absolutely tremendous. Uh, Sally Field especially is so good at this. (laughs) She's just so amazing. It's so second nature to her to be amazing. Uh, This movie is romantic. It's funny. It's sweet. It's smart. And... uh, I, I was I don't know why I was skeptical about this. I love Michael Showalter. I've loved everything that he's done, aside from maybe the Baxter, which was again his first movie. So he's getting he's still getting used to things. He's still learning how to be a director at that point. He's also starring in that film, so that's kind of holding him back. But I mean, the Big Sick and Hello, My Name Is Doris are, are really great movies, and I shouldn't be surprised how good this is. Yeah, I. <sighs> I saw the trailer for this when I went to see Bros in the theater. Uh was one of three people in the theater for that, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Uh quite liked it. Quite liked it. Um I was like, oh God, because I'm not a huge Jim Parsons fan. I didn't see the Big Bang, the Big Bang Theory, never been a fan of that. Um he gives Leonard Fry vibes from the boys in the band, uh, obviously. Um and I just was like, I've, I mean, I followed Michael Osiello on Twitter and Facebook and everything for years. And I just didn't see him in this part, but he was so good that it, it completely, um, completely surprised me that I liked this movie as much as I did. Uh, I didn't look over cause I, we can't, we were in the same theater. I didn't look over to see if there were tears coming down your face, but there definitely were coming out of mine. Uh-huh. Uh, towards the end, uh, but I was surprised at how engaged I was in just the characters. Uh-huh. Um, knowing what was going to happen, knowing kind of the story, and I, I just was, I was fully engaged. And I'm not fully engaged in movies a lot. That's why I go see them in the theater because I don't have distractions. Uh-huh. Um, I, just, I thought the performances were great. I Sally Field, she has her own little genre, like I told you, the you know, Sally Field, whose children are dying of cancer or whatever. Could or, be its or own genre. Or, yeah. Uh, she, <laughs> yeah. 
I, she, she had her seat, her big scene where she's yelling about, she's, she's yelling the subtext of the movie, you know, and it's, it's, you fight your, you fight what's in front of you. And that's just all, that's the best you can do. Mm-hmm. And that part really like stuck with me after the movie. Um, you know, just the, the little bits and pieces of, you know, discovering along with the, the kind of the side characters, what's going on, like, you know, that they weren't together mm-hmm. at, at one point that they'd kind of taken a break. Um, I, I just, I was so fully engaged that it was, I, I thought about it in a positive way the rest of the day that after I saw it, Mm. um, it brought up, you know, like issues that middle-aged gay men seem to, uh, deal with as did bros, but in different ways. Um, but it was, it was sweet. And it was, I even, I I thought that it was a, a good kind of a love letter to not only, um, Kit Cowan, but to Michael Osiello as well. Mm. Absolutely, and I, I, I thought there was a, just a line in this movie that, is, and it, and then it was sad. I was kind of it was spoiled in the trailer, but it, it is still has its impact in the movie. And that is, he's telling you about uh, how great his ass looks in this pair of pants, and he says, "I was afraid if I if you knew how beautiful you were, you'd leave me." And that is a line that hits me so hard. Like that is a line that expresses so much anxiety and fear and insecurity all in just one line of dialogue. And Parsons delivers it beautifully. Uh, It's, it's, it's kind of fucked up when you you really drill down on it, because it's really like, if you're that level of insecure in a relationship, but at the same time, he was that level of insecure in that relationship for many reasons, most of them his own. Uh, and and so it's it comes off as very very truthful. I wish that hadn't been in the trailer. I would have probably cried. When you are okay, so when you are not conventionally good looking as a gay man, especially there is that that level of insecurity in a relationship, especially if you're dating somebody who you feel might be out of your league. Mm-hmm. Take this from experience. That it, you know, you're you're constantly bombarded with these images of what you're supposed to look like and you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to be into. And the <laughs> when he walks in and sees all the Smurfs, the great I felt personally attacked. <laughs> Anybody who's watched this YouTube uh, this podcast on YouTube mm-hmm. and has seen my Star Wars collection. There's a reason I have it in one room and that <laughs> so door shut shuts. Door when, when if I ever want to bring somebody home, they got to like, <laughs> I got to roll them into that. Yeah. They got to come in and see my beautifully appointed mid-century modern furniture and my, you know, <clears throat> incredibly cool movie posters and all that. And then, then if they come back again, no, I'm not a whore. Uh, <laughs> if they come back again, after all that, they might get to see the Star Wars collection. Yeah, just putting that out there. The date two thing, not a, like a, definitely not. Oh yeah, that's. <laughs> I would definitely when I lived in Jersey City, like Michael Osiello, I would definitely have been the same. Let's just stay in New York. Let's just stay in the city. Let's just stay here. Yeah, not a lot of people a wanted to come to Jersey City. Right. B, were allowed in that room. So. 
Yeah, the Smurfs thing, I thought that was such a, and I know it's a true detail, but also it's just such a perfect, um, it arrives at a perfect moment. It's a perfect test for their relationship, how he takes that. If he can take that, if you can take me at my Smurfiest, you can take me at any time. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's brilliant. That was a perfectly timed scene. It arrives perfectly, and, it, and it's a nice pivot point for the rest of them, for the rest of the romantic portion of the movie. So one of the things, and go, going back to the Smurf thing, he explains to him that, you know, this was something that I could turn to that reminded me of my childhood and that when I was losing my mom to cancer, that I could hold on to as kind of a, men, a memento because she used to take me and, you know, she would buy me a Smurf every time we'd go somewhere. The same, this is what, what hit me was I started recollecting Star Wars stuff in the mid nineties when my mom was sick and she'd saved some of my stuff from when I was a kid and I still had it. I still do have it. Um, but it was some, it was a distraction. And I kind of, I felt that really, you know, when my mom was sick for six years and I was, you know, just going to work and I needed a hobby, that was what I turned to. Hmm. And it's as some people can see sometimes um, it's a little much. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel called out too. I've got, I've got similar, similar issues, just not the means with which to, to adhere to them. I would love to have Michael's uh, Smurf collection. Honestly, I had Michael's Smurf collection when I was six years old. Smurfs were, uh, yeah, I big, remember that. <laughs> Smurfs were a big thing for me. Like uh, one of my first formative horror experiences was actually the Smurfs. Uh, there was a Smurfs episode I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, there was a Smurfs episode that is a zombie episode where like one of the Smurfs gets infected yep. by something. Get out. And yes. Get out. Get out. I, Get out. For years, out. I was actually triggered by that very sound. <laughs> I, I, I was Sorry. I was six years old and I was curled up in my in my older sister's lap for like an hour after I saw that crying. <laughs> hey Sean. Gnap. Gnap. <laughs> but i was also that like later i was upset they never sold a purple smurf to go with that so i was like that's very upsetting that i can't collect that as well <laughs> they should i should have done that that should have been something that ended up as a toy but i don't know if it ever did and certainly never available where i wanted where i was shopping <laughs> yeah I, I always got them at adventureland every time we'd go to adventureland i'd come home with five or six smurfs and yeah I had more than a hundred and there were only a hundred Smurfs, but I had more than a hundred. So, (laughs) all right. But yeah, a spoiler alert is, is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I know a lot of people have a hard time taking Jim Parsons. Uh, His big bang theory lasted for 12 years. He was a a big part of that show. It's hard to get out of the shadow of something that big, um, but certainly, but I, I thought he was in, I, I thought he was great on that show. Uh, it was my mom's favorite show, so I've always had kind of an affinity for him. Uh, and I thought this was different. This was certainly uh, similar, but more mature uh, version of what he did on television. And uh, he certainly, I, I, he just nailed this role. Yeah. Yeah, he really did. And a lot of people are going to be surprised by that. I think, I think there's a lot of people who, I think this movie proved, you know, the box office proves a lot of people were very skeptical of the idea of uh, Sheldon Cooper, romantic lady man. Well, with another man, especially. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, let's just call it out. I mean, that's one of the reasons that Bros failed in the box office was because people didn't want to watch two guys hooking up. Um, I'm even a lot of my gay friends were pissed because Billy Eichner said, "Well, you know, if straight people don't go see this, nobody's you know." And yeah, he's right because <laughs> they're the majority. Um, you know, there was uh, I don't know if you saw Fire Island. No, I didn't. That was that went to Hulu. Um, it started off as a one of those I can't remember what the streaming service that got killed right at, right as right because of COVID because Quibi? of the six yeah yeah Quibi. It started off as a, as a Quibi series, and the movie was on um, Hulu. And I I want to start off by saying I can't stand Joel Kim Booster, who was the main character. Oh. I just can't stand. I just he's every shallow thing that I've every time I hear him talk, I'm just reminded of like the inanity and shallowness and vapidity of gay men in their early thirties. Um, but the movie was very, very good and had a good cast and there were, you know, it, it was well acted. Um, but I think that was, that was the movie that everybody wanted to be in theaters instead of bros. And I think those same people because bros failed, but oh well, spoiler alert, it's not gonna be any good. And they're really missing out because the entire cast is phenomenal. Absolutely. So go see uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, completely underrated also as Bill Irwin, who uh, you know, one of my favorite actors from uh, Rachel Getting Married, uh, a movie where he's incredible and he's just a, a wonderful utility player to use in movies like this. All right, let's uh, get on to the next movie. What are we watching next? Let's talk about uh we'll talk about an adult swim movie. So adult swim did this amazing thing. Uh, I got to see this uh, last week and I couldn't talk about it. It was absolutely killing me. I got to talk with the director, Casper Kelly. Uh, I'll share that uh, from the YouTube page because I've got that up there. Uh, But it's uh, the Adult Swim uh, Yule Log. So every year they've done this thing where they've put up this Yule Log where it's just a picture of a log in a fireplace. It's very comforting. You can just leave it on for hours. This is something that people do during the holidays. And so this kind of set it up perfectly for, for somebody to step in and use this as a as a tool. And that's what they've gave, they gave this to Casper Kelly this year. And he what he did was create this amazing horror film that is just completely absurd. Uh, so it begins on a shot of a Yule log, typical fire in the fireplace. Uh, then somebody comes in and is talking over it and you think, okay, we're into some kind of, uh, you know, funny bit, right? Uh, this person is the caretaker for this cottage. She is brutally murdered and what you, you only hear it, but you, you kind of see people hear people moving around and you see them a little bit, uh, brutal murder occurs. And then two people come in who are staying at the cottage and suddenly the camera pulls back and we're into a rather relatively conventional movie about a couple who is, uh, at a cottage, they're visited by a sheriff who tells them that they've taken a log from a cursed tree. Uh, and they're burning that now, and they should probably not be. Uh, then other people show up, and just weird shit after weird shit after weird shit. This movie is called The Fireplace, and it is absolutely incredible. Casper Kelly, the guy behind Too Many Cooks, has crafted something that gets weirder and weirder, and he keeps painting himself into these wonderful corners and finding his way out of it by coming up with the most absurd idea he could at any moment, whether it's a 
a fiery log on fire flying through the, <laughs> through the cottage or there's a little man in the fireplace who has his own universe behind the fireplace there are aliens there are hillbillies it is absolutely crazy and i think one of the best horror <laughs> movies of the year because it's so completely insane it's so funny this movie is hilarious, but it's also very, very gory. Like uh, people get cut completely in half. Guy gets his face bashed in by a sentient log. You've got flashbacks to slavery where a guy's just flaming. Getting- <laughs> flaming <Such> a- <laughs> it's so crazy. I loved this. And they debuted this right after uh, Rick and Morty's season finale on Sunday night. Didn't tell anybody they were doing it until the next day. And then it popped up on HBO Max for everybody to watch. But what a great idea. <laughs> the, if that if this was a like a movie theater movie and it had a poster it should just be you a log and the tagline should be what the fuck <laughs> because i kept going wait what the fuck is happening what the fuck i said that probably 50 times throughout this movie um i i will give him credit for the inventiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting was not bad. It's not good, <laughs> but it was not bad. Right. It was, it was better than something like this usually is. We'll, just, we'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that like every time you think, Oh my God, this is a movie about a killer log, a killer flaming you a log that's somehow become sentient and can fly. And then it's a home invasion movie. And then it's a backwoods rape and murder movie. And then it's an alien movie. And then it's ritual sacrifice. I just, it's so bonkers. It is. I, I mean, that's. He just keeps turning it up and turning it up and turning it up. And he's got some really, I mean, there, there's just such great concepts in this. The, the fireplace itself, where there's this little man in the fireplace <laughs> who invites people to come into the fireplace and go to this other side where he basically finds a way to erase them from history. It, it's such a great horror concept. Like, there's a, that's a wonderful little short movie in the midst of this amazing movie that's already going on. I just love the inventiveness of this. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's it definitely have to see it to believe it. Um, no doubt. It's it's just it's just bonkers. It's I, it defies description. Really, is it a horror movie? Yes. Is it a comedy? Yes. Is it a, a science fiction movie? Yes. Is it a? It's. I mean, it's almost practically like a multiverse movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, you know, it's like it's just. He he! Instead of throwing a noodle against the wall and seeing what sticks, he just threw the whole pot of spaghetti against the wall and just everything stuck. I just—it's brilliantly just layered upon layer upon layer of absurd ideas and and just to, the the aliens showing up and the way the aliens kill people is actually legit scary <laughs> like that was as uh, as goofy as of an effect as it was it worked on me I was. That was like really creepy. Uh, the but everything was the, the there's these really effective just cutaway gags that are just really good in this movie. I mean, it it, it reminded me of Too Many Cooks because he's obviously the guy who did that, and I uh, the way he just continues to spin insanity on top of insanity and and keeping you involved in it the whole time. It's it's incredible. 
one thing that I would have really, I, I was kind of jarred when it stopped being a static shot uh-huh. because the way that he had framed the first five seconds of it, where the woman is murdered and then they're just sitting there and everybody's having a conversation. I kind of got, I kind of was like, Oh, this is going to be one static shot and you're going to have to imagine some of it. But then, you know, like all of a sudden it's not a static shot anymore. And I almost was disappointed. I, I think that if you're going to do that for the first 20 minutes of the movie, you need to, you just need to go all the way. Uh I know you couldn't have done that with the stuff that went on, but then I think maybe this shouldn't have been a static shot. Like the first killing could have been a static shot. After that, I think, you know, it would have been, I love the right after he zooms the camera out and we introduce the main couple. Uh, in, there's a there's a champagne bucket that is sitting next to the camera. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can see the hillbilly kind of ducking his head out of a door, and that is he films that just perfectly. But then he also explains why the camera is there as having the the main guy, uh, <laughs> the main guy. He's the guy actually, who creates the Yule log. Yule log. That's his thing. He films Yule log, so that's why the camera was set up that way. It's it, it just uh absurd ingenious brilliant uh and typically of uh casper kelly and adult swim this is kind of the the craziness that they that they do and I, i'm here for it i loved this i like <laughs> <laughs> i imagine you like the uh the other movie that we are talking about this week a little bit more maybe or no i have a lot of thoughts Christmas Bloody Christmas is a uh, horror film that's now on Shutter and also for some reason in theaters nationwide. And uh, this movie, <laughs> I'm trying to remember uh, the lady's name. Who is the star of the film? The, her name is escaping me now. And I love her. She was fantastic. She's the best thing about the whole thing. And I can't remember her name. Um, but uh, yeah, it's escaping my <laughs> Yeah, I apologize because I've been my <laughs> review. I spent all this time praising her, and now I I'm running the Zoom and I can't look it up to see who she was. But I can look it up for you. The movie goes like this: uh, There's this woman who owns a record store. It's Christmas Eve. She's looking to hook up with some guy. She gets talked out of it by her coworker, who invites her to go out to a bar and get drunk with him instead. They end up dropping by a toy store where two of their friends are hooking up that night because they want to hook up at a toy store for some reason. One of them is played by Jonah Ray. Uh, they they go there and there's this Santa Claus, this mechanical Santa Claus that is there. And we learn through exposition TV station news that uh, this Santa Clauses have been put across the entire country uh, and are now coming to life and having to be put down by like local military or police or whoever. And this one, of course, is one of the ones that indeed does come to life. Uh, Abraham Ben Ruby is the uh, uh, robot Santa Claus, and he goes crazy just chopping people in half with a with a sword. Uh, famously gets Jonah Ray while he's in the middle of having sex, which is a very funny visual. And this movie is, again, another one that's very, very horror heavy, but also kind of absurdly funny in that way. And that it's a robot Santa Claus who's going around unstoppably killing people. Uh, but this this woman who stars in this movie, I thought she was incredible. Riley Dandy. Riley Dandy. Thank you. Yes, she was awesome. Uh, like She is kind of my dream dream girl and that's she kind of lives up to like she is kind of a fantasy fiction manic pixie <laughs> rock chick you know in this movie uh but I, I dug it i was there for it the whole way and she was so authentic 
that I didn't care about, you know, the normal things that I might get hung up on in a movie like this. I thought this movie had a lot of great dialogue. I thought it was spiky and funny and weird. Uh, and like I said, the kills were pretty spectacular. Uh, just didn't do a lot of things that pissed me off until the very end where it just, it, I think they're going for that absurd sort of, okay, this is continuing and continuing and continuing, but I don't think that landed. And for me, it became no. tedious at the end, but overall I, I liked her so much. I liked the rest of the movie so much that I I'm over being upset about the, how the movie stuck around for too long. I, I actually, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start this. And I watched it at home. Um, and I was really surprised because the first 20 minutes of it where they're just kind of bantering back and forth, it was super naturalistic. It was like, I'm actually kind of invested in these guys because I, you know, I feel like they're having an actual conversation littered with F-bombs, mm-hmm. littered with fuck. Yeah, but they, they, they uh, talk like they talk like regular people talk. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was like, is this improv? Is this, you know, were they just like, they kind of rehearsed a couple talking points and then went over them and just improv it or what? But I just thought they were really naturalistic. Um, I got, I definitely got the relationship from the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, it was like you said, it was, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. And then it was like, come on. It was like Christmas Evil meets the Terminator. Yeah. And then they did the ending for the Terminator, Terminator 2, Terminator 3. And they just kept adding endings to it. And that's where I was like, I realize you're trying to get to an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. However. Yeah. You it, could take out one of the one of the, one of the climaxes of the movie. It has to be a gag, right? It has to be like one of those. Absurd, oh, yeah. Uh, things where we're, you know where the joke just doesn't end. <laughs> oh, I can see Joe Bagos, like the director. I can actually see him being like, let's do this again. This is be, that'd be so fucking funny. Yeah. You know, um, I like the actors. I liked the, I liked the story. I thought it was fun. Um, one thing I didn't like is it looked like Rob zombie filmed this through cheesecloth. <laughs> the whole, the, you know, the lighting was bad. And I, and I don't know if that was a gag either, if that was, but I, the lighting was terrible. And a lot of times I, it looked like it was out of focus for me. I didn't notice that much. And uh, I saw it in the theater, so I didn't really, but I didn't honestly, I didn't yeah. notice that much in the theatrical presentation. It didn't look that bad to me. Yeah. But it was just, you know, the, the, it definitely, it had that Rob zombie filmed on a Kmart camcorder feel for me. It cost um, to make this movie. There's no doubt about it, but <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it, it also it, it it's uh uh the, for for costing ten dollars those kills were pretty good uh pretty good effects oh uh, I gotta say I was it's very impressive what he was able to yeah. do on that limited budget the uh the the one the car that by the by the front of the grill of the car I'm not going to give much away but mm. that was like first of all it was shocking yeah I oh, was yeah. like what what Wait, wait, and then I thought I, I'm like, no, I heard the, I heard, I heard a different name. I just missed the introduction of a character, didn't I? Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had to like rewind it and go back to make sure I was seeing what I thought I was seeing. Uh, you know, that was, that was like pretty well done. It, it's and all. I think we've established I'm a Christmas horror fan. So. Indeed. 
All right. When we come back, we will uh, get to our classic this week and talk more about Christmas horror movies. But uh, we have to uh, take a quick break and then we'll continue the show. All right. I'm going to start a new meeting because <laughs> it's telling me I've only got two minutes left on this one. So. Chris, we were talking about Christmas, bloody Christmas. I'm I'm uh, I'm obsessed with Riley Dandy. You I think you assumed I would hate this, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, One of my greatest accomplishments as just being on three episodes so far as a co-host is making you like horror horror Christmas movies. I think they I think these have just been really good movies. Uh, Just, you know, (laughs) aside from Silent Light, Deadly Night, I know that's not for me, but uh, you didn't love it, but you didn't. You didn't hate that one as much as I thought you would. Yeah, I, I, I didn't care about that one. Uh, I would say that, but I thought this one was really good. Uh, another one we'll talk about next week was actually not terrible. And uh, so th- 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 there's probably another one coming up. I, I think there might actually be another Christmas horror movie coming up as well uh, in the near future, too. So it's been a weird year uh, <laughs> to get three of those in one month, uh, two of which were theatrical theatrically released or three of them actually the the mean one is another one we'll talk about next week maybe uh that uh, also received at least a small theatrical release even though they'd said they were going directly to streaming uh that's it, it's weird to see this get this kind of mainstream attention yeah it really is i mean as somebody who has had to watch multiple christmas horror movies or horror movies just in general in you know, in a, on a VCR or a DVD player or streaming, this is great. Yeah, it was a long I time. I love being able to go to the theater. This was a significant ghetto, uh, a place where you know Christmas horror was the, uh, certainly like if you look back in England in the eighties, this was not this was you're not even allowed to show this in the country. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now and now we've got three of them released theatrically here in the U.S. It's a very strange time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, just speaking of a video nasty, the one that was uh, that was banned in England back in 1980 uh, is our classic Christmas Evil. Uh, this is the story of two uh, young brothers, one of whom grows up to become obsessed with Christmas uh, and uh, his obsession with Christmas and being uh, sort of a loser who just kind of loves Christmas, wishes everybody else loved it as much as he did, uh, leads him to this obsession where he becomes uh, essentially tries to become Santa Claus and uh, deliver presents and and uh, you know give the kids uh, the good kids Christmas and the bad kids uh, punishment and uh, Christmas evil. Uh, what was the alternate title to this? Better watch out. Better watch out. Yeah, which is the title card you see in the movie when you watch it online. <laughs> you can look it up under Christmas evil, but it comes up under that. That is the title uh, card in the movie, which I found unique. Uh, this is this is a an unusual film. Uh, again, another one I don't particularly care for. It's very low budget. The kills aren't particularly interesting to me, uh, and I didn't really buy into this main character. I I, I get, I don't. I, it's very similar to Silent Night, Deadly Night, and but I thought that killer at least had a better motivation than this one did. Basically, he sees his his uh, he sees Santa Claus t- try and eat his mom's pussy and gets all fucked up about it. <laughs> Well, I think you see how much, you know, he was so excited about Christmas and, you know, and then he, they really think that they see Santa and I don't know, 
you know, popping up the chimney or whatever. But then later on, he comes down and he's like worshiping his mom's thigh. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, then he gets like all crazy about it. Um, It's so skillless, by the way. That opening sequence is so uh, bizarrely put together to the point where like they have. Uh, I, and I know they're going from a child's imagination. So like Santa disappearing up the, up the chimney or seeming to disappear is like a, the way a child remembers. And they are relating that I think as a memory, but it's, it's so poorly directed that it, it, you can, if you're not paying a close attention to catch kind of what you think they're going for, it just seems completely unmotivated and strange. Also, which brother was it that was the one who got fucked up? Was it the younger brother, the older brother? They explain that later, but it's like the one of them is questioning the one of them actually sees it. But then is that the same one who's messed up as a, as an adult? I was, I, I was so did not care uh, <laughs> at all about which one it was. And I was annoyed that I had to keep asking myself, which one was it? Well, you had, that was for like three minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have been that annoyed. Mm. <laughs> I was um, enough that I didn't care about the rest of it. Yeah, well. So Christmas Evil is it's one of those movies that I never saw until well into adulthood. Um I my favorite movie of all is Black Christmas, just in general, um, which we'll talk about later uh next week. Um so I saw this one. I was like, oh, another Christmas horror movie. Great. I love those. And um, I think I, I love showing it to people mm-hmm. more than I love it. Um, I think that because of the fact that it was late 70s shot in New York with all New York actors and some, you know, some decent some people who went on to decent things like Jeffrey DeMunn who plays the brother, the older brother uh-huh. with kids. He was on the walking dead. He was in the block, you know, a lot of Frank Darabont stuff. Um, you know, Ritanya Alda, who was in Amityville to the possession and mommy dearest was her biggest uh, credit uh-huh. as Carol Ann, the maid. And uh, even Patricia Richardson shows up from home improvement before she had to endure eight years of Tim Allen. Um, you know, just some good, you know, some good actors were in it. It, I think that they would have, it would be better if they had shown his progression into the Santa obsession a little more mm-hmm. uh, in the way that silent night, deadly night showed you, they mapped it out and they showed you every step of the way is why Billy turned out to be the killer Santa. Right. Um, I think that he just was crazy to start off with. And yeah, you're right. He, you don't get enough of an explanation why seeing Santa licking his mom's thigh turns him fucked up. Um, I think what I get from it, what I get from even right at the beginning is that this guy loves Christmas so much that he doesn't, he knows Santa's not real, but he wants to become Santa because he wants to just, he wants to pass on that love for Christmas to all these good boys and girls. Mm-hmm. But then when uh little Moss, uh, he's he's watching children with binoculars in their bedrooms mm-hmm. to see if they've been naughty or nice. And this little Moss, whatever his last name is, he's There's... cutting pictures out of Penthouse magazine and he's <laughs> holding up and you know, he goes and he writes very strongly worded how he's on the naughty list. And 
you're just like, oh, okay, he's not a perv. He thinks he's Santa Claus. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's bizarre. And the fact that it's Fiona Apple's dad, Brandon Maggart, playing this guy. Mm, I didn't know that. Um, I found that out after I'd watched it a couple times. This is one of those movies that if I'm if I am showing it to somebody, I'm watching them instead of the movie. Yeah. Because I just want to see the reaction to how bizarre this is, you know. And the guy is such a loser. He's like, yeah, I'll take on your your uh, um, your shift at the toy factory because I love making toys. Blah blah blah. And then he walks by a bar and sees a guy making fun of him at that exact moment. It's just Ooh. like, come on. Yeah, that <laughs> that stretched credulity for me. And, uh, I I don't know if it's just that he's not enough of a loser, or if it's just not absurd enough for me. It's all it's all very earnestly played, and I I don't think that quite works for what I'm looking for in a movie like this. I'm looking for something a little bit bigger and broader. The only thing I kept thinking about throughout this entire movie is he was what six years old when he saw his parents uh, together or Santa thereabouts. Uh, and then we're cut to 33 years later, which means this guy who looks like he's in his fifties. <laughs> and it, <laughs> no, I, I buy that. He's in his, I buy that he's 40 years old, but it's something about 1980s, 40 years old versus 40 years old. today is so different. It's so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Why did everybody in that time period look so much older than they actually were? Is it just that layer of cigarette smoke was everywhere? <laughs> What's funny is when I was in high school and I was on the yearbook, we would have to go through old yearbooks just to get ideas and whatever. And I saw this lady who I still am friends with who babysat me when I was little. And I saw her picture in the yearbooks. So I'm like, oh, this is the year so-and-so and so-and-so and so graduated. So I went and I looked. And it looked like they were about 32, 33 in there. And it was, I don't know what it is. I think of when my mom turned 40 and, oh my God, it was so old. They were so old and, you know, the life was over. And I'm like, uh, that's not how I remember 40. Uh, my mom was a was an older so, mom. Gen X. She, she had she had kids uh, uh, very late in life, uh, even one younger than me. And, but she was like never it it never occurred to me that she could ever possibly possibly have been young. And she was younger than me when I was born, but like not by much. It's it's just weird to think how much older people seemed at that time. And this guy is a good example of that because yeah. I he's in his fifties. He he should be in his fifties, but he's not. But that was like the oh, most yeah, entertaining yeah. aspect of the movie. It was just rolling that over my head because otherwise I didn't really care. Uh, I wanted to see something like that would define this as a video nasty. And like you compare this to any other horror movie. And I mean, those kills are not that impressive. No, I think it's the it's the Christmas killer Santa. That just is too much for people. Mm. You know, I mean, a few years later, you had the Silent Night, Deadly Night controversy that got kicked out of theaters. I think it's just people at that time were, I guess, earnest enough to think that Santa was not, Santa was off limits. Whereas now we're like, yeah, fuck it. Killer Santa robot. We don't care. <laughs> at least it's a Santa robot and not trying, trying to push it as actual Santa. I <laughs> that's why I had I yeah I I was worried that you were gonna hate it because of Santa being bad. 
It was the Santa robot. But it wasn't the it real wasn't Santa. Really Santa. And there were many of them. So the Santanator. It made sense. Yeah. If, <laughs> if Bob is listening to this, the Santanator should be the title of our episode this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think if they'd gone like full Henry portrait of a serial killer with this guy, like that, I think that would be more interesting. Oh, yeah. I think that would have been a more interesting film, but like a guy who is Henry portrait of a serial killer, but he's also like obsessed with Christmas is a clever idea that I could have bought into. And I think a more skillful filmmaker could have gone in that direction and made that movie, but I don't think they had a, the skill to pull that off. Well, yeah, like, like bad Santa, but worse Santa, mm. you know, mm. he really hates fucking kids. He really hates them. So he starts killing them. Make that movie. I'll say this, you know, you know instead of kind of jumping back to uh, uh, Christmas, bloody Christmas for a moment, uh, that an actual child murder was, uh, was something I thought might push me out of the movie, but it didn't. <laughs> I was very, uh, you're like Michael was, Jordan. Eh, fuck them kids. Kids survive those moments <laughs> in movies. And that one, yeah. that one got me. I think like, <sighs> We as a society, as far as like movies and stuff go, that's the last taboo uh-huh. is killing a child. Yeah, you know, I remember when in Pet Cemetery, when Gage died, and you were like, I, I saw people walk out of the theater. Uh-huh. You can, you should never kill a child. That's the real horror of the movie. You know, yeah. it's like I remember. But, just recently, the witch, the opening scene, one of the op- earliest scenes, oh, yeah. which is uh, a stunner, uh, <laughs> real like a real stunner. Uh, you don't you don't see that in movies, and that really set that one apart. Yeah, there's. I've noticed that it's not as big a deal anymore. You know, with now that they're doing it artfully, I guess. The- um, Christmas Evil might have benefited from that kind of energy, though. Of <laughs> he doesn't kill any kids. Oh yeah. He, in fact, he kills a bunch of stranger, a couple of strangers in a you know, relatively meager kill. Uh, and uh, he gets the one guy who I guess was his tormentor or his how he saw him as his tormentor. But I, I thought that was kind of lame, honestly, the way that went down. Uh, the staging of that is so bad. He's in bed with his wife. Uh, he's being choked to death by this bag of presents. And his wife is just like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like could yeah, nothing, nothing could rouse this woman apparently <laughs> i think i mean he really should he should have been evil you know he yeah. should have been predatory and most of the stuff was just him snapping or him you know like when he was confronted at the steps of the church and you know he just kind of started killing people just to kind of escape you know that it's not forgivable, but it's right. understandable, you know, and, whereas and why include in the, that scene also in, in terms of just how how uh, lack of lacking in skill this movie is. They include people who were there at the party with him earlier. These people that he was uh, looking down on his fellow toy company employees were there. The people who were you know lying about giving kids uh, toys for Christmas for free were there, but he doesn't end up killing them. He ends up killing killing three randoms. Yeah. Like, why not kill the people who would matter in that moment? Why not, like, go in and poison the punch or the eggnog or what? You know, really be nasty about it. Mm-hmm. I'm. I would. This is one of those movies where I would absolutely dig a remake, mm-hmm. where he's an actual like he's actually a nasty guy. 
as opposed to, you know, or he makes that turn where he's like, I love Christmas. Everything about Christmas is great. Then, you know, the guy gets, you know, like gets him to work his shift. Then he gets laid off or something. And then his brother, um, he, he finds out that his brother who just got divorced is now marrying the, the only woman he's ever loved or, you know, all those things that just kind of push him over the edge. And he sees where he's, you know, he, this little kid is being bad. So he goes and he just kills the kid. I would love the, yeah, the, the, idea, I mean? the, the juxtaposition of a guy who, and uh, you know, earnestly loves Christmas, who also is a psychotic killer is a, is a kind of a great juxtaposition that I just don't think this movie yeah. really takes advantage of. I agree. I agree. I think, um, be, you know, everything has been remade silent night. Deadly night was remade as silent night. Kind of. Hmm. It's a loose remake. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this one is ripe, ripe for a remake, and I would like to see it be a little grittier and nastier. Like I you said, know, I don't want Joe Beggs to do it, but... Killer, but he really loves Christmas. <laughs> yeah, okay. Santa, portrait of a serial killer. <laughs> let's really get, let's really give one million moms something to bitch about. There you go. Yeah, I'm sorry, about thirty five hundred moms across the country. All right, uh, that's our classic is uh, Christmas Evil. So let's talk about the movies that were released 30 years ago this weekend, 1992, A Few Good Men. This is a, an all-timer. Yes, a lot of people, I know a lot of people who, I, I've got a close friend who calls this his favorite movie of all time. Uh, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, uh, this incredible court scene directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, tell me what you think of A Few Good Men. Uh, I saw it 30 years ago, and that's the last time I saw it. I thought it was well acted. This was before I really hated Tom Cruise. So I have not revisited it since. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everybody knows the the big, the most famous line is you can't handle the truth. And right. um, I thought, you know, Aaron Sorkin write, writes it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the dawn of everybody loving Aaron Sorkin's writing. Um, well directed. not Not something I needed to see again. Mm-hmm. because by you know five years later i just decided i couldn't take tom cruise anymore very entertaining film very watchable uh this movie is the kind of movie you can pick up and watch anytime at any point in the movie and you're it's easy to follow the courtroom scenes are, are great it's a wonderful pot boiler of a of a thriller and the it's got a you know just that showdown between cruise and nicholson is uh, awesome uh it's got so much power to it it's a little bit of cheesy but also just just a perfect amount of hamminess on both ends that just really uh sells it demi moore kevin pollack are also great uh keeper sutherland uh is wonderful in the film as well i i i got a i got a really a great feeling about this movie i i, I would watch it again pretty regularly other way that came out this week, uh, 30 years ago, Forever Young, starring Mel Gibson and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who I forgot was in that movie. That's weird. <laughs> Written by Jamie. Yeah, I forgot all about Rose this movie. All people. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody thinks J.J. Abrams was just some sort of wonderkind who popped onto the scene with Felicity, but you know, uh, he the- was doing stuff way before that. The premise has a pilot in 19, uh, Captain Daniel McCormick, 1939. He's a test pilot 
a successful run, but then he goes missing and wakes up 53 years later in 1992 uh, and uh, is uh, then falls into a romance with Jamie Lee Curtis. I have no memory of this movie. I don't know if it's any good or not, and I would never watch it again because fuck Mel Gibson. <laughs> yes, fuck <laughs> Mel Gibson. It's like it's kind of how I feel about Christmas with the Cranks. I love, love, love Jamie Lee Curtis. The only one of the best things about watching Christmas with the Cranks is seeing Tim Allen be abused because I just can't take him. The you know, watching Christmas him, Carol. What do you following. think of the Muppet uh, Christmas Carol? Any, any? Um, it's I I I, I remember it, but. I never, it's not one of my holiday goes to go to's. Oh. Do you have a particularly favorite uh, Scrooge? Mm, I, I've been watching uh, from a few years ago on Hulu um, where Guy Pierce plays Scrooge. Uh, uh, you know, it's a pretty straight adaptation of a Christmas Carol. Ooh. Um I really, I, I've been enjoying that one. He's, you know, a little bit younger than you, you get from the thirties and on, but uh, George C. Scott. I love George C. Scott. He was really good as Scrooge. Yeah. Uh, the best so, one always for me is always going to be Scrooge. Do you, regardless of Bill Murray's problems, <laughs> Scrooge remains uh, my favorite <laughs> uh, take on that story. Uh, it's, it's funny. It's weird. It's strange. And it's uh completely over the top but it, it gets me every time and i just i i dig scrooged a lot so that'll always be my ebenezer scrooge story i didn't see that until about five years ago for the first time because i just i'm not a comedy person generally mm -hmm. but i was like okay you know what that's a christmas movie i haven't seen and it was five bucks at best buy mm -hmm. picked up the blu-ray and i think i watched it three times that year it's really entertaining so, and very, and again, and I think very easy to watch. Breezy. Yeah, I think for me, I think the ghosts really <laughs> sell that one for me. And I'm not kidding you. As somebody who loves horror movies and loves special effects, John Forsyth's makeup Ooh, in fantastic. that movie, yeah, is amazing. Absolutely, just, you know, just like the physicality of whoever was under that makeup. Cause I don't think it was John Forsyth. He's, you know, well known for doing voices. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, the physicality and, you know, like getting shot and then the whiskey coming out of the bullet holes. Perfection. <laughs> great, great stuff. Uh, I also, uh, I think the best performance in the entire movie is Carol Kane. Uh, she, her second, uh, yep. She which when she, yep. she smash like my favorite piece of physical comedy in any movie is her smashing Bill Murray with a toaster. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. She's great. She I, I could watch her read the phone book. Oh, uh, she's in a movie uh, that that uh, was oh she when she got an Oscar nomination for uh, Hester Street, uh, which is just insanely good. Uh, she plays a Hasidic Jewish woman from Russia who is brought over well after her husband has arrived and she has to try and adjust to the life that he's created there. And she is so incredible in that movie. Nobody will see it because it is such a niche film. And But I, I loved it. I, and I wish more people would watch that. But that aside, other things that happened on this date 30 years ago, HBO released an original movie called Dead Ahead, The Exxon Valdez Disaster. Neither of us have seen this uh, movie. I'm sure um, 
But I wanted to ask you, what do you remember of the Exxon Valdez? Um, I remember the, uh, you know, all the news reports about how the captain was drunk. That's that's one of the main takeaways because somebody that I know had just gotten arrested for boating drunk. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was like, oh, wow, you should you should. I remember saying you should have driven the Exxon. Are, are, were you driving the Exxon Valdez? They didn't think that was funny. <laughs> I um, I do. I remember, you know, like the pictures of them cleaning off birds and, you know, what uh, ocean life and things like that. So, yeah. Prince William Sound, Alaska, the worst oil spill of its time, over 11 million gallons of crude oil on the Alaskan shoreline. Just an absolute uh immense disaster and i bring this up not only because just i wanted to ask you what you remember of it uh because this is kind of contemporary for us both at that time but also the fact that nobody is talking about what is happening with this uh, current oil pipeline this uh, ridiculous uh mm-hmm. pipeline that has been built on native american land across the mm-hmm. united states that has basically burst a gut and is uh, leaking oil everywhere uh, and I bring that up only because nobody's fucking talking about it. <laughs> Take a look. I think it's Kansas right oh, now yeah. where this has happened, where they've had is this it? massive leak uh, that is uh, destroying uh, crops and property and land. Uh, and just as just as every Native American activist had said it would. And it's not the first one. There have been other leaks in the Keystone Pipeline. Yeah. And there will continue to be. Yeah, absolutely. And no matter what anybody thinks, and if I'm going to get a little political, that is not oil that is going to bring down gas prices. No. FYI. That is tar sands oil. That is not even meant for the United States. So don't come for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the disaster. They, they they exactly said it would. Everybody's trying to ignore it. Uh, they may the lamestream media, if I could borrow a phrase from the other side, is uh, also just not doing their job and telling people this is happening and downplaying it. Even uh, go to TikTok, honestly. If you go to if you go to TikTok, you'd actually see what's happening. They actually, they're actually showing you videos of this happening. It's a shame that we have to go through TikTok to get this news, but there it is. TikTok in this podcast. I'll make a movie about it. <laughs> that's where you this is what happens when you are when you can't show up bob <laughs> he would have suppressed this for sure he's a tool of the oil company <laughs> <laughs> he works for exxon i'm kidding oh, he does crap he's editing this we'll never, this will never get out <laughs> no they'll they'll make a movie about you know the protests and you know suppressing that and it'll be on lifetime or something and and then in 30 years, we'll talk about it. The heroic Native American. I remember when this happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Emma. Emma Stone. Oh, God. No. No. Oh, man. Noted Native American activist, Emma Stone. Speaking of cultural appropriation, uh, next week, it's Avatar week. Uh, uh. I keep watching the trailer and I keep hearing these. I, I'm I'm assuming white actors, uh, if if uh, using this very uh, 
this accent that uh, I know they're aliens. I get it. You're going to defend people are going to defend this by saying they're aliens. And it's like, yeah, but come on. <laughs> we know what we know what this is supposed to be. We know what the metaphor is meant to be. And it is awful, ugly cultural appropriation. And it's embarrassing. It's cringy. And I have a feeling the entire movie is going to be that way. I'm trying. I'm seeing the movie tomorrow night at a critic screening. I, I'm trying to be as open-minded as I can. The first film is, is that and more. It's just full of cringe. And I've just, this trailer is just epic levels of cringe for me. I had to watch Avatar eight hours a day, five days a week when I worked for Best Buy in New York and Jersey City mm. because it was playing in our Magnolia section mm-hmm. because it was, you know, so beautiful and so gorgeous. And I it was like, I'm never, ever going to watch Avatar ever again. And I'm never going to see any of the sequels. And then you had to ask me to be on this goddamn show. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> these sequels are supposed to be made a decade ago so so it would make any sense why now yeah I, you know and i always say i don't like animated movies so that's probably you know i'm not gonna probably like this either <laughs> it is an it is an animated movie it is uh, it's an animated like dances kid. with wolves with ai art uh, i'm just i am not looking forward to this but it's the it's it's going to be a big. It's going to do well. It's going to draw a lot of people. I'm t- I've got a. I've read a lot of critics who really like it. I won't be surprised even if it gets nominated for best picture tomorrow by the Critics Choice Awards. I would hope it wouldn't. I don't think because uh, I, I don't think everybody's seen it. Uh, it. Certainly, certainly we didn't see it by the time it got. Uh, I came to our. We voted last Friday is when we put our votes in, and I don't think most of my membership has seen it by then. So if it gets nominated, I got some questions for some people who are my fellow critics. I, I got some questions about that, but I got a lot of questions about critics lately because I put this to you and we're just wrapping up the show because we don't have flick chart now, but uh, without Bob. Uh, so I'll just put this to you. Babylon. It, it, there has not been a review that has been released of the movie Babylon yet. Damien Chazelle's new film with Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt. But I watched a commercial last night, which is filled with critical praise it's a lot of critics talking about how amazing the movie is and there's a lot of pull quotes and i'm so like oh pull quotes great they've lifted the embargo i can go publish my babylon review which i've finished already i go to look and rotten tomatoes doesn't have a single critics uh review yet there's no not one so the embargo hasn't been lifted so basically all of these fellow critics of mine have submitted their reviews to the studio for pull quotes, apparently, which I guess is, is not an un, not a non-standard practice, but it, it got under my skin a little bit. I I'm more used to the I'm more used to Hollywood having to go look for our stuff as critics and pick out ones that are there. The idea that they're pulling quotes before the reviews have actually come out is a little bit kind of gets under my skin a little bit. Yeah. I can understand that. As an outsider, what do you what do you make of that? Um, I, it smacks to me of critics who really just want their name out there, who it's kind of like access journalism in a way, Uh 
we're going to give this movie an amazing review and we're going to send it to them so they know how much we love it. And I want to see my name on, on TV. Imagine, I imagine most so. of these people, most of these critics who do who submitted quotes uh, were probably grabbed immediately after the screening by a publicist as they're leaving uh, and gave an immediate reaction of what the, what would be in their review. I would assume that's the way it's going. I would hope that's the way it's going. If they're going back and writing the entire review and then sub- then giving it to the studio before they even put it out on their own outlet, I I find that dubious. But uh, I'm not here to call out my own critical group. I'm just saying that I don't. I it bothers me. <laughs> Maybe and that could just be the the jealous cry of somebody who lives in the Midwest and didn't get access to you know anything. I, I get access. I got access to Babylon. I didn't get access to Avatar. Uh, I try not to complain. I get great access to a lot of things better than most people. I go, I go to the movies for free. I never pay. I can't complain about my job at all. I never would. I just, I find some ethical lines get to me a little bit. And that, that is one of them that is kind of pushing my buttons a little bit. I understand that. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't like, I don't, I guess I don't really have a dog in the fight mm-hmm. when it comes to that, but I can see where you're coming from. It's an ethical, it's an ethical ground that is a little bit dubious to me. It's a, it's a, uh, we, <laughs> the relationship between critics and studios has to be, you know, the separation of church and state has to be there. It has to be, uh, you can't do things for the studios. You can't, uh, bend over backwards to give the studio something you have to, it has to be a partnership. Yes, because they have to provide the access and we have to provide, and then that allows us to do what we do. Uh, but this type of cooperation is, mm, it's on a line for me. I would like to hear from somebody who submitted a quote uh, to this and have them explain how this is possible without them actually having published yet. I would love to hear from somebody to defend that. So far, I've put that out on social media. I've not had a single response from anybody uh, kind of giving me an idea of why this was the way it was. I don't know. It'll be interesting once the Babylon reviews actually start to hit. I'm not allowed to even tell you right now how I feel about it. I can't tell you my review of Babylon right now because we're under embargo. I can tell you that I finished it. I've seen the movie. It, I know it's coming out. I can't tell you how I feel about it yet uh, because ethically I am bound by the embargo. I, and I'm perfectly all right with that. I've always lived up to my embargoes. I, <laughs> but I'm, I'm dubious about this one because nobody asked me. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm just jealous because nobody asked me. <laughs> for my review. Oh, Sean's Fifi's hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it'll get spun, I'm sure, by somebody. <laughs> He's just whining. He's just whining because they didn't ask him. Sure. <laughs> Think whatever you want. I just I, I'm trying to uphold an ethic here. And I I, I don't know. Not that, I don't even know if there's an ethical violation. I don't. Maybe it's just me being sensitive. I don't know. I, I'm just curious what other people think. I don't know. <sighs> All right. Uh, the Golden Globe nominations also came out this week. Who cares? Fuck the Golden Globes. The fucking abusive assholes. The who had the, the gall, the unmitigated gall to nominate Brendan Fraser, a man they that the, their leadership fucking sexually abused 
They're going to put out there and nominate him for an award and ask him to come to their stupid award show. Screw those people, first of all. But second of all, I would love to know the ratio of of members of the of the Hollywood foreign press that actually watched these movies that they nominated versus the number that just went to a junket and met celebrities. Because I, I challenge anybody, look up the membership of the IHPA and try and find their outlet. Try and find where they've written a review somewhere. It is a challenge. I've done it in the past, and I cannot find these people online. And they're trying to find their membership alone is a challenge. But then you try and find where they actually have published anything talking about movies is a challenge. Uh, I've written this year uh, more than 300 movie reviews. I've got receipts on everything that I voted for for the Critics' Choice Awards. And they're all online. They're all recorded on this podcast, on my radio show. I've got receipts. I know what I saw and what I voted for. But I would love to see an IHPA, a a member of the Hollywood Foreign Press, HFPA, I would love to see one of them actually step up and show me some receipts of what they actually watched. That would be nice, because I don't see it. I haven't seen it for years. I used to walk by the Hollywood Foreign Press building in LA when I lived there quite a bit. And every time I would just flip them off because they're all full of shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were, they were Harvey's little friends for years. They were his little minions. They did everything he asked for. And uh, they'd still be doing it. If he weren't, if he weren't in prison right now, they'd still be doing his bidding. Yeah. It's all all about access. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, we'll get uh, get uh, back with you next week. Hopefully, Bob will be back next week. And, of course, uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, look for us on all the uh, on the platforms. Uh, we've been posting more on the uh, the Facebook group and the Facebook page, which is uh, getting some good engagement. We appreciate that. And uh, next time Bob is here, he has access to all the reviews. So uh, I believe we do have a new review for the show. So hopefully he'll have that uh, next time he's here. And, uh, yeah, we'll bring that all to you next time on Everyone's a Critic. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs>